Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Alex, and I'm the pastor here at Ridgeview, and we are so glad that you're here uh, to worship with us uh, this morning. And uh, as you walked in, and as Joel mentioned, you should have received a program. And on the front of that program, uh, every week we have the, the message series that we're on. And we do these series, which are topics that we pull out of scriptures that are important to life. And we are right in the middle of a series called uh, Catalysts. And it's actually a series on, on faith and how God uses catalysts to grow our faith. And uh, two weeks ago, we started the series looking at how faith is the knowledge and assurance that God is, is with us and God is for us. And therefore, all of us need to grow in faith because God made us. He wants to have a relationship with us. And so the more that we grow in our understanding that, that he is for us and that he is with us, the actual better life goes. And so the series is, is looking at how does our faith grow and then how do we cooperate with God uh, in the things that he wants to use to actually uh, grow our faith. And so uh, we kicked off talking about this idea that growing faith equals growing maturity. And that seems like a simple statement, but many times we want to grow mature and we want to become better equipped in life and how to handle it. But you must realize that to do that, you, you go through the path of faith. And so you, you can't go around faith, this idea that God is, is with me and God is for me. And as you understand that more and more, and as that impacts your life, you become a mature person. And so what we, we did is, okay, if we want to become mature, then we need to grow in faith. And so how, how does that happen? Well, here, here are the catalysts that, that we've been talking about, and you'll see them up here uh, on the screen, these catalysts that grow our faith, and they're there, practical teaching, private disciplines, personal ministry, providential relationships, and pivotal circumstances. The first two weeks, we talked about practical teaching, and, or the last week, practical teaching and, and private disciplines. This is the idea of we grow and our faith grows in understanding who God is as we learn from God's word. And part of the ways we learn from God's word is, is what you're doing right now, is coming on a Sunday and gathering with other people who are trying to figure out what it means to take a step in a relationship with God. And we're all at different places, but growth and maturity happen when we hear God's word and we begin to apply it uh, to our life. And so practical teaching is, is when we take the truth and, and we begin to live it out. And then private disciplines are an extension of that. As we hear more of how God works and how he wants to interact in our lives, private disciplines are the things that we do like prayer, talking to God, and reading the scriptures, getting to know God's word for ourselves, as that begins to happen and we kind of hold on to the promises of God and we experience them being true, then our, our faith grows. So last week we talked about those two. Today, I'm going to focus on number three and number four, personal ministry and providential relationships. And so what we've been trying to do is if, if God gives these catalysts to grow our faith, then as a church... Our goal is to cooperate with God with these catalysts. And so we have been kind of unfolding our strategy as a church. And so if God grows our faith through catalysts, then how as a church do we kind of help people take those steps? And so I want to show this slide, which highlights our strategy. And these kind of interweave with the catalysts that God uses to grow our faith. The first is regularly attend a worship service. When you regularly attend church, that's where you get practical teaching, and that's where you can begin to build relationships. And so faith grows as you regularly attend. So already today, guys, you've lived out the first strategy. You are here. Everybody give yourselves like just, or, or clap. You're here. But that, 
And I'm not, not to make light of that, but showing up to church is actually something that will grow your faith. Because anyone could go and sleep in and get brunch and do 10,000 other things. But to show up to church takes a commitment even to get here. And if you have kids, just doing all that and all the things that happen. So regularly attending is, is a part of, of growing faith. The second is invest and invite. I'm going to talk about that later. And then last week, we talked about develop my life through learning. So as a church, since we know that people's faith grows as they learn, then we want to provide opportunities for people to learn. That happens again on a Sunday. And then it happens through training programs that I talked about last week. And then it also happens through those private disciplines. As you pray, and you pray and ask God to do things, and he does it, you've just learned something. You've learned how God interacts with you, and your faith grows. As you read the scriptures, how it applies to patience, and if you choose patience and you see God come through, you learn and your faith grows. And so all these things work together, and so I'm going to come back to this, but I just kind of want to give you the catalyst in our strategy, uh, because this is what this series is all about. So I want to start with what we're talking about today, the idea of providential relationships. So God grows us, he grows me, and he grows you as we choose to engage in providential relationships. Now, providential is not a word that we use much today, right? Have you used that in a sentence this last week? Not really. But providential really is this idea of it's God-ordained. God made it happen. There are relationships that we all have that God has wired together for us to experience. And there could be coincidences, but there's times in life where we cross paths with people at just the right time. That happened in my own life. When I was in high school, in junior high, I met a man named Tim Rowe, who was a part of my church. And in seventh grade, they were offering a class to teach junior high students how to read the Bible for themselves. Now, for some of you, that sounds like that would be an awesome thing for you to be a part of and teach. But I remember what I was like in junior high, and that's no easy feat. But this man, Tim Rowe, offered this class. He wanted to help seventh grade boys learn how to read the Bible. And so I signed up for this class. It was kind of my first step of like, okay, I want to learn how to own my faith outside of my parents. And I went to the class, and I was the only kid. And I remember thinking like, well, I tried. It's going to be canceled. But they kept going. And I was the only one that showed up week after week. And in that time, I learned how to spend time with God by reading the scriptures, and God used that to grow my faith. Fast forward, uh, in high school, this same man started a Bible study for high school guys now, and he, he just continued to, to walk with us, and he invited us into his home on a Saturday morning to read the Bible. And in that time from junior high to high school, God provided Tim Rowe in my life to grow my faith. He modeled what it means to walk with God. He modeled what it was like to work hard, but still make time to do the things that are important to God and get involved in church. He invested in me. He took me bowling. We played tennis. And through that relationship, my faith grew. And I am part of the person I am today because of that investment that he made years and years ago. And I believe that you guys probably have similar things, that God has put people in your life at a certain time, maybe when you were younger or right now, that they have helped you in a certain way. And you may wonder, how did it happen? But what what you sometimes we fail to realize is that God is is ordaining these relationships. And there's providential, there's God-directing relationships that God wants us all to experience. Because he wants Christians and people who are investigating what it means to follow Christ, 
He wants this interaction to happen where people are learning what it means to walk with God. People are learning what it means to live life his way. And so he wants our church to be a community where these providential relationships happen. And let, let's read the scripture that, that describes this in Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I want, I want to highlight a few things from this because it actually lays out helpful perspective when it relates to people. Now, you may be here and you love people. You love to spend time with people. You never want to be alone. There's others of you that, like, you could have people in your life or not. Like, eh, maybe, maybe not. And, and there's days where we feel like we want to be around people, and there's days where we are exhausted and we don't. But there's something in this scripture that's specifically talking to the kinds of relationships that God wants to happen inside the community of faith. And the first part is, let us consider how to stir up one another to live in good works. So this, this first part, let us consider, is basically saying, let us think about the relationships that we have. And here's the reality about relationships. God has put people in our life that if we choose to engage and invest in them and they invest in us, our lives will be changed. In fact, everybody that we relate with changes our lives. Because have you ever thought about the greatest impact that has on your life is, is the people that, that you spend time with? The more time you spend with people, the more you become like them. And so God wants us to consider this and give an intentionality to the kinds of relationships that we have. And the people that we choose to invest in and the people that we spend time with, the people that spend time with us, that is who we become. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, let us consider, like, let's actually think about the impact of relationships. And let's take steps to invest in the right ones because you become who you spend time with. Then it goes on and it says, let us consider how to stir up one another. Now, when you hear stirring it up, a lot of times that's in the negative connotation. They came in and they stirred it up and it's like conflict erupt, like somebody kicking the hornet's nest. Here it's actually talking about this stirring up like a, like a jockey does when he's riding a horse and he spurs. The spur goes into the side of the horse and what does the horse do? Moves forward. I wanted to hear like, I was waiting for like the horse noise, but the horse is activated into action. That's what the spur does. And so the writer here is saying, let us consider the investments that we make. And as we get time with people, let's encourage them and let's love them in a way that activates them to do the same thing. So God wants us to be intentional about those that we relate to and encourage and love people in a way that they're going to encourage and love people. It's this idea of the catalyst that goes on. So as I'm relating to somebody and as I'm encouraging them and I'm giving them perspective and I'm giving them help and I'm a listening ear, they should have that experience and then want to do the same to others. And this is not easy because most of the time when we talk to people, we don't want to talk about ourselves. We want to share what, what's going on in our life. And there's a time for that. But there's this idea that there's this reciprocal You're sharing about your life. I'm sharing about my life. You're encouraging me, and I'm encouraging you. You're loving me, and I'm loving you. And there's this picture that he's saying, let's consider this. Because we don't get this time back with the people that God has placed in our life. 
and activate this love and action and, and encouragement. Now, this is a warning that goes on, not neglecting to meet together. And this is where it's helpful to read the scriptures because the scriptures actually speaks to us uh, from the past, but into the present. And what this passage is saying is that although we all need intentional relationships and we need encouragement and we need love, there's always going to be this part in us that we want to neglect getting with other people. Have you guys experienced that, that pull, like where you, you have an opportunity to get with somebody and all you think about is how you can get out of it? We've all done that. I'm, I'm tired. I'm not feeling well. And then if you have kids, you're like, do you have the sniffles? I think you're, are you not feeling well? You know, we all have, we have these strategies like how, I'm saying that because we've all been there. We, we know just we, we don't want to do these things as it relates to people. Because there's something in us that there's just times where we, we like to pull back. There's a risk that's involved as we relate to people where they're going to know us and they're going to know what's happening with us and there's fear that wells up inside of us. Because maybe we're ashamed. Maybe we, we're off track and we don't want people to know. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that we're, we're misguided if we think that pulling back is going to help us. And oftentimes we do that to safeguard ourselves, but there's actually no safety there. Because as you pull back and as you isolate, you pull back from encouragement and you pull back from love and you pull back from people that want to serve you and help you. So the very things that you need, because God's wired you that way, when you neglect to engage with people, you miss out. So the writer is saying, don't do that. Fight for time with people. Fight for it. Because we need encouragement. Here, here's some things I, I thought about in my own life, why I, why I need encouragement. And here's just three things. There's times that I want to give up doing the right thing. I, the right thing is hard. There's just times where I'm like, is this, is this worth it? It'd be so much easier if I just cut that corner. I did this shortcut, whatever it is. But there's times the right thing is hard to do, and we don't want to do it. Second, for me, there are many times that I want to settle for God's best, or I want to settle for less than God's best because I want what I want. There's times where God's boundaries feel like they're limiting my freedom. And if I am limited by my freedom, I'm not getting to experience all that I want, and so I just think, you know, I'm going to settle for less than God's best. Another reason I need encouragement is we tend to get hardened by sin. Um, when we get off track and we sin against God, whatever it is, it's amazing that once we get off track, we start to look back on track with God, and it just seems so far. And so we just think, well, it's, it's not worth it. I, I messed up again. And we get guilty. We get shame. We feel overwhelmed by the wrong that we've done, and we just we pull away. And the writer is saying, Encouragement is needed because as people encourage you, serve you, and love you, the things that are going on in your heart, that love, it penetrates that. It breaks up some of that hardness. It breaks up some of that stone. And God gets our attention through people. And so we want to encourage and love because God has put people in our life to grow our faith. Here's something that I I realized a few years ago. Uh, It's up here on, on the screen. God provides people to love, not interruptions to avoid. Many times in life, 
people seem like they're interruptions. How many of you can relate to this? You're at work and you have a project and you're stressed and you have a lot on your plate and then someone comes and they want to interact with you. Maybe they just even want to catch up and all you're thinking about is, I don't have the time to even talk to you right now. What are you doing here? And, you know, we have our own ways of kind of safeguarding that. Like, oh, that's, oh, really? Oh, man, that's terrible. You just smile them off like, you're still there. Or even with our kids. Dad, you know, can we do this? You know what? Not right, not right now. Hold, hold on. You know, Mom, can we do this? We just wait. Just wait. And there's always this, there's things that we have. There's goals that we have. And people can become interruptions. And so we begin to think, especially difficult people, people that we may not jive with, relate to. It says, how, how can I avoid them? But what we fail to realize is that these are opportunities that God has to engage in a faith-growing process. And it happens both ways. One, there's people that God has placed in your life that he has put there for them to love you. Specific people. Right now, he has put them in your life for them to love you, for them to encourage you, and for them to challenge you. And he's done that. And I believe he's doing that within this church. The flip side is there's also people that he's placed in your life for you to do that to them, for you to love them, for you to serve them, and for you to encourage them. It could be the same person. It could be different people, but all this happens at once. There's what God does, and it fills us, and then there's what God does as we fill others. And this is what happens in providential relationships. So I want to tie this back to our, our strategy as a church. If this, is, if this is true, if we need providential relationships, God-directed and God-oriented relationships, then, then how do we have this? Well, it was what Joel was talking about. We have this through grouping with others. So back to our strategy. If God grows our faith through providential relationships, then we need to group with others for these relationships to develop. On a given Sunday, you guys come, and we're all here, and depending on what time you come, there's a service, you sit, you sing songs, you listen to a sermon like you're doing right now, you sing another song, we receive our offering, and then the countdown starts. What time's lunch? How do I get to my car? And how do I get out of here? Now, that sounds like you're hating it. I'm not saying you're hating it, but that's a countdown on a Sunday where it's just a limited window. There's limited opportunity to talk and to connect. So providential relationships start here, but it's actually when you group with others that they continue. So here's, I'm just going to lay it like just out to you. I believe that if you get into a group here at this church, your faith will grow. And it will grow more than if you don't. That's what I believe. That's why we have groups. We're not just doing this to fill the week with more things. We're doing this because the scripture says, let us not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And let us consider how we may stir each other up to love and good works. That happens in a group. And so I began to think, what are some things that happen in groups here at at Ridgeview? Well, as you're in a group, uh, you can share prayer requests that you have going on in your life. There's things that you need prayer for that you need to share with people. And when you're in a group, you can do that. And it's actually sometimes easier than on a Sunday morning. Uh, in, in a group, you can build friendships because you're getting to know people and hearing more of what's going on in their, their life. And you can 
use a group to kind of be a catalyst to connecting further. So friendships are strengthened. Uh, you can begin, as you're listening to what's going on in people's life, you can begin to learn how you can serve others. Because people are sharing what's going on and the different things that they're facing. And that comes out more in a group because that's the type of setting. It's a place where we share what's going on, where we talk about our lives, where we pray for each other, where we allow people in to some of the things that maybe nobody knows about. And this happens uh, in a group. And so the idea in our church is you actually, we, we grow bigger as we grow smaller. And so as we group together and these relationships are formed, faith is, is growing bigger. Our community is, is growing bigger. And so the taste that you have on a Sunday morning begins to multiply as you get other opportunities to connect with people. And so the, the connect group uh, that we talked about is, is just something that you have to decide, am I, am I ready to take that step? And for the most part, well, I should say every time, but it may not come across this. My, my job is to never guilt you or put pressure on you or to leverage what you should do because you have freedom. And anytime you're forced to do something that you don't want to do, you're not going to grow from it. But what I am saying is, Consider this very seriously because that's what the Bible says. Let us consider. Let's take into account the relationships that we have. So I'm just going to come through the different excuses that I usually have for things that I don't want to do. And I encourage you, figure out your excuse and face it down. Do you know what I mean by face it down? Say, like, I see that excuse, but I'm not going to let that limit me. So here's the first one. See if you can relate to this. Anytime you have to do something that you don't want to do, I am so... Tired? Sorry, that was charades. Come on, guys. I'm, I'm tired. I'm really bad at that. I'm leaning on hands. Yeah, I'm tired. So we're, we're all tired, and we're all going to be tired. We're adults. We have responsibilities. We have to wake up. There's lots of things on our plate. We're tired. You can still be tired and be a part of a group. I'm busy. How many of you guys, like, that's how you feel? I'm busy. Just like we're all busy, or we're all tired, we're, we're all busy, too. There's all things that we have to do, but... It's an hour and a half, two hours as you plan if you want to actually talk to people, which is good, and driving there, two hours. Do we have two hours? I think so. I don't know people. That's one of the things. I, it's like I don't want to be a part of this because I don't know them. How do you get to know people? You know, as adults, we're so smart, but sometimes we go back to, like, my dog ate the homework. You know, it just the way you get to know people is you actually have to get to know them. And that means you have to take a step to, to doing that. And the last one that, that, I, that, that I've even faced is I just don't, I don't know much. And so if I'm in a group and I have to share, I, like, I don't know what people are going to think about what I share. Here's the thing. You are where you are. And if you share what's going on with your life and you let people in, you will bless people because you're being real. That's what we all want. We want real relationships. We can get to know each other in a real way. So as you share who you are and what's going on and you're real, you'll bless people. Commercial's over. Let's move on. So that's our strategy. Group together, and we believe in that strongly. So the second is God grows us as we choose to engage in faith catalyst number four. And this is personal ministry that stretches us beyond our comfort zone. 
There's two words that, that I use to describe personal ministry, okay? First word, I really, this is like charades. First word sounds like, okay, no, just kidding. Serving, okay? Personal ministry is, is serving. You help other people with their goals. You help the church with our goals, and you put that in front of your own. That, that's part of serving. The second is sharing. Personal ministry involves serving and it involves sharing. And I, and I want to talk about uh, what those look like. Before I do that, though, I want to highlight this serving and sharing by going to a story that some of you probably have heard of before. And it's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. It's actually many more than that if you count, because at that time they were only counting the men that were there. There were about 5,000 men. Didn't count all the women and children. So there's some accounts where it could be upwards to 8,000. Have you heard that story before, the feeding of the 5,000? There's like a little bit of food, and it seemed like it fed everyone. Well, some of us know that story, but I want to kind of hone in and focus on how Jesus was relating to the disciples with some of the attitudes and questions they had, because he's modeling the serving and sharing. But as you hear the disciples' kind of perspective, see if you can relate, see if you can relate to it. This is in Matthew 14. Now when it was evening, I'm going to stop there. Now when it was evening, so what, what, what you find out in the, as you read before that is they had been serving and sharing with people all day, sharing about Jesus, who he was. He came as the Savior of the world. And they'd been serving and healing and praying all day long. They'd been doing this. So now when it was evening, it's letting you know that there's this, been this whole day that this stuff's been happening. The disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Okay, I want to stop right there. Okay, they've been serving all day. They've been sharing all day. They are, hey, good job, God. You know, that just blessed my heart. Thank you. Thank you for that. They are tired and not only are they tired, but they want to point to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, do you see where we are? This place has nothing. This is desolate. There's nothing to do here. There's nothing to see here. And we've been here all day, and now it's nighttime. Let's, let's get out of here. And so you could imagine the disciples were all having the same experience. Like, you tired? Yeah, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. What are we still doing? I don't know. Somebody talked to him. You talked to him. I'm not going to talk. You talked, you know. So they decided as a group, let's just let Jesus know our plan for him. That never goes well, but they always come back to that. Let's let Jesus know. So this is a desolate place, and the day is now over. So it's like, we're done, okay? So I can relate to that. You look around at your circumstances. You look around at what you're facing, and you're like, this is desolate. There's no life here. This is hard. This is not what I want. This is not fair. You ever thought that about the things you face? I know I have. This is what the disciples are saying. This this is a desolate place. The day is now over. We're over. And then they tell Jesus. It's like, hey, Jesus, you may, want to, you may have thought about this, but let, let's coach you on what you need to do. Send the crowds away so they can, you know, buy food for themselves. Now, Jesus is listening. He's seeing their plan. He's seeing their cohort come together to direct him. And then he counters. And notice in the counter... He's instructing about life. But Jesus said, they need not go away. 
you give them something to eat. So I love that. They, they've built their case. This place is desolate. The day is over. We're exhausted. We're done. Send them away so we can have a little R&R. And Jesus says, we don't need to do that. And he could have easily said, I will feed them. But what does he say? You. What Jesus is trying to do here is he is trying to grow their faith. They were done. They had tapped out. They didn't want to do it anymore. And Jesus says, we're we're just getting started. We don't need to send them away. You give them something to eat. Now, this is what's great. The next part. Check this out. Now, before I read that, I think they knew Jesus was going to say that. They had already thought, Jesus is smart. They've seen him. They know. He knows people. They know he's always got a plan and he's got a strategy. So they thought, if he says that we are going to feed him, say we don't have any food. Because we don't. This place is desolate. We're going to get out of here. Verse 17. They said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. This is what, you know, Jesus, before we, we can't feed him. We don't have any food. And what did Jesus say? And he said, bring them here to me. The them is the food. Bring the food to me. So now Jesus is saying, okay, you think you can't do it. You're done. You don't think we have enough resources. Bring them to me. I can relate to this. Now, the story goes on. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Now, I I would just love to see that. Then he's talking to Jesus. We're talking about thousands and thousands of people. I would have loved to have seen what that site looks like. Sit down. Everybody just like Gandalf, you shall not, you know, but. Sorry, I go off on tangents. But then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And then it goes on, verse 20. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is a great picture. Many times we look at the miracle, which it is a miracle, and we look at the fact that he fed all those people. But what I focus on now through this lens of personal ministry, the serving and sharing is this. And they all ate and were what? Who? All. So I love this picture. The disciples who were done, who were wore out, they were tapped out. They wanted to escape. They brought the food to him, and he multiplied not only the food but their efforts. So when they were done, they came to him, and he gave new energy. When they were done, he made things happen. And in this story, we have just great things. They, they wanted a moment to themselves, and Jesus, he was focused on the ministry. And that's how it is. We, we all want a moment. Like, we want to stop. We want to just focus inward. And and Jesus is saying is, there's opportunities around to help people and to love people. You need a moment, but what you need is is ministry. They wanted to relax. What did Jesus want them to do? He wanted them to relate. He wanted them to go to the people. They wanted to play it safe. We need to recharge. We've been at this all day. And Jesus wanted them to serve. And that's what happens. We, in our own minds, We have our own cases to why we can't extend ourselves for his kingdom. We have our own excuses for why we can't take steps to know him. 
We have steps of why it doesn't make sense to follow him. And what Jesus is saying to all of us is, come to me. And what you think is impossible, I'll make possible. Whether it's your fear, whether it's your doubt, whether it's your energy, whether it's your past, whether it's your future, whatever you doubt, I will make possible. They were all satisfied. And so for here at Ridgeview, personal ministry is the same as as we need to serve and we need to share. And so serving in the church is something that that we need to do and also sharing our faith with others. And so I want to kind of go back to our our strategy that you'll see there, and we're going to highlight the last two. So we first regularly attend a worship service. That's tied to the practical teaching. Invest and invite, that's part of the personal ministry. That's the sharing. As we invest in people and we love people and we share the difference that Jesus has made in our life, if you're a Christ follower, your faith will grow. If you've never shared what it means to follow Christ with someone else, you don't grow as much because once you begin to share it, you have to figure out how to communicate that. God grows your faith as you step out with courage. And we're going to have a series starting on July 7th that's going to highlight this. It's going to be called Everyday Missionary. We think of missionaries as people that are in foreign countries out there. But actually, if you're a Christ follower, God wants you to be a missionary here and now in your world. So we're going to talk about that on July 7th. Then we talked about develop my life through learning, the grouping with others, which I started with, and then the engage by serving. So invest and invite, that's the sharing Engaged by serving, that's, that's the serving. That's where personal ministry happens. As we invest and invite in others, and as we engage by serving. Uh, here's some other things. What I, what I like to do is anytime I talk about an idea, there's always barriers that we have without realizing it. There's barriers that you have in your own life because of the things that you're facing. There's barriers that you have uh, because of all that's going on. There's barriers that I have. We all have these barriers. And a lot of times, the barriers are between our our ears. It's in our mind. And so here, I just want to say, if you you serve, specifically if you serve people within this church, and you serve here at the church on a Sunday, or in groups, or at meetups, however you get involved, it will cost you. Serving will cost you. What are some things that you will cost you. Well, on a Sunday morning, if you come and help, uh, we have people on our, our operations team. Raise your hand if you serve on the operations team. You get here and you're either doing the, the signs and don't be shy, you know, okay. These people who serve on the operations team sleep less because they have to get here earlier. So you lose, yeah, good. They're doing the charade. I'm, they're tired. But you get less sleep. When you serve, you also have less time for yourself because you're doing something that's not just all about you. And then you have less freedom because it limits everything you could do because you're, you're committed to, to serving and the responsibility that you have. So th- those are the costs. But I think the things that cost you are outweighed by the advantages. And so here's some of the, the advantages of serving. There is more vision of how God can use you. When you serve in the church, you become a part of something bigger than yourself. And all of a sudden, your narrow lens becomes a little wider. Our experiences, we widen because we see what God's doing. Uh, you, you get a more experience of teaming with others and the relationships that are formed when you serve. Uh, you have more experiences of seeing a God come through. So just like the disciples, they would not have known how he would multiply the food and 
all the resources if they would not have brought them to him. And that's the same with us. As we bring our resources and our efforts to God, he will multiply them. And so there's lots of opportunities for you to serve here at Ridgeview, and Joel in a moment will lead us through. We have our operations team. that they, they get here early, and they help set up all this to transform this school into a church. We have our kids zone that there's teachers right now that are in there investing in the next generation and loving on them. They're serving. We have a welcome team. If you've got a program, if you've gotten coffee, if you have a name tag, that's because of that team. They're showing hospitality to us. Um, the band, they're serving. They're leading us in worship. Uh, serving in the church, it, it's actually not glamorous. I don't think you guys thought like, wow, it's like Hollywood. <laughs> serving in the church, it's such, no, it's not, it's not glamorous. But it is what Jesus is all about. In fact, the scriptures say he came to seek and to, to serve. He, there's this like, he, he came to lay his life down. And at the heart of Jesus is he's a servant. And so that's what he wants us to be. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and Joel's going to come up and lead us in some, some next steps. But I, I encourage you, if you can go back to the strategy uh, slide, the, these steps right here are, you know, our, our strategy to help you grow. But these are actual things that you can do. And so I encourage you, wherever you are, whether it's your first time or you've been here for many weeks, you can take one of these steps. And what you're doing is just like the disciples, like, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't even know if I really want to do this. But as you give it and you let go, then you see what Jesus does. So let's pray and, and ask him to do that. Father, thank you for faith that we can know and experience that you are with us and you are for us. Thank you for also providing things in our life that grow our faith so we don't have to stay the same. God, I pray for anyone in here who feels alone or isolated or overwhelmed by life, that you will draw near to them right now and help them to know that within this church, they can find community and they can find the help and love and encouragement that you have for them. God, I also pray that you've given us each talents and skills and resources And we can use them to be a part of something bigger than our own lives. So God, I pray that you'll continue to give us the energy to serve, to love people where they are, and to really do all we can to make this church go. So we thank you for all the people that you've provided so far, all the people who've sacrificed to make this church happen. We thank you for your love and the fact that you hold it all together. In your son Jesus' name we pray.